Wow, praise the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm just so grateful that you're here today and uh, that we have been able to lift high the name of Jesus in a very special way today. You know, I was thinking as uh, with that song, we're praising the Father, we're praising the Son, and we're praising the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one. How do we know that? Somebody held their Bible up. It's exactly how we know it. We know it by faith. We know it by faith because the Bible tells us about our great God and Father in heaven and his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who works in us and works through us. We were talking to this couple here that were being baptized, Mackenzie and Derek, earlier, and they were just like, that's not their thing. You know, they, don't, they, don't, they didn't want to get up in front of everybody and speak. And yet, um, and this is what we said. We said, you know what? You have the Holy Spirit of God to help you. And he did. And he helped them say clearly what had happened in their life. And that's what we have going on here today. But it's because of the declaration of the word of God that we know the things that we know about God and even know how to live. And it's uh, my privilege and, and I'm excited to introduce to you our speaker for the day today. His name is Jeremy Frazier. He's an evangelist. And um, Jeremy is going to come and speak to us in just a second here as I introduce him. But um, he's been going in evangelism. God called him uh, to give his life to preaching the gospel um, around the world, literally. They have a ministry that was started in 07, but he's been preaching since 98. Um, his wife, Misha, and five kids are at home, um, or are they at camp still? They're in a trailer somewhere across the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to evangelism ministry right there in the traveling ministry. But they have given their heart um, to the Lord. Jeremy, um, he was at 2 o'clock yesterday morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, he was taking off in Anchorage, Alaska. He had been, he's been in Alaska at a camp, a remote camp up there, uh, ministering to a bunch of kids. And he jumped on a plane real early in the morning and made his way here uh, to speak to us today. And um, the Lord has unique, uniquely gifted him um, to bring the word of God. Jeremy, um, you're going to enjoy. This is your first time preaching here. You're going to enjoy this congregation because they love the word of God. In fact, they're going to get their Bibles out and they're going to be ready to roll. And they can't wait to hear what God's going to say by his spirit through you. So would you help me welcome Jeremy Frazier to our platform today to speak to you. Well, I am super excited to be with you here today, and uh, I think about this auditorium. In one sense, I have preached here before, um, but the time I was here was in the summer, and uh, many of you may know Danielle uh, Corson, and uh, Danielle's here in the auditorium, and with also with uh, Blair. I think um, Brooke and Bryce are going to be at the second service, uh, but that Danielle's my sister-in-law, and um, so she was married to Brent, and, um, and this summer uh, was, a, was an awful, tragic thing to go through, and I know that many of you continue to pray for Danielle as her husband um, had, had uh, drowned in an accident there and are trying to rescue the kids, and it's amazing how God continues to impart his mercy and grace through these trials and struggles in life. And, um, and so last time I was here, I, I did, again, part of it's like, man, there's a lot of emotion in my heart because, um, because last time I was here, I was preaching the funeral. And, um, and so that was, that was really 
around August first time. And so anyway, I am glad to be back though. Uh, I happen to be, we, we have been all these little crisscross things and travel in the country in different places. And I'm grateful to be here. My family would love to be here. Um, and right now, uh, my, they're with my father-in-law and, and, and mother-in-law. They are in Cedro Woolley, Washington State. Okay, that's like north of Seattle, about an hour and 20 minutes north. And so I have been away from them for the last two weeks. Uh, actually, the last three weeks, uh, we're ministering in, in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And, and actually, I'm, I'm leaving basically after lunch today, right away, going back to Chicago, flying out of Chicago and going to, to, to a place in Iowa with a bunch of churches there. And, um, and so just kind of all over. And so I know that you'll pray for me, and I'll pray for you as I get to know you even better and better as uh, the Lord allows us to do this. Let's take our Bibles uh, this morning. And actually, I want to I challenge you out of the book of Revelation. Let's go to Revelation Revelation chapter 21, as we turn to this passage of scripture, um, it seems like it's, it's often or rare that you hear a message on heaven. And, um, and when I think about our world and I think about um, just everything going on, I, I, as a believer, as someone who is in Christ, I long for the day to be in glory. And I hope that that's the case in your own heart. I realize if you're not in Christ, there would be a struggle there in your heart for sure. And, um, and today I want to make that clear for you as well as we can look at this passage of Scripture. But I want to read to you in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, uh, John is the writer here, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he says this, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. Actually, that Greek word is the very same word. You could actually read it, that behold, the tabernacle place or the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will tabernacle even with them, as, it, as it, it's the Old Testament picture. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write or write these things down. Why? For these words are trustworthy and true. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us as we would be stirred through the scriptures. And God, what good would it be if we come here today and, and are not moved by the word? And I'd say, I ask God, would you please empower me and as I would unfold this text of scripture to my friends here. And God, I ask that would you stir their hearts to greater love and good works, that they would realize that they should not live, and we should never live for this world because this is really not our home as true believers. So God, I ask that you would stir our hearts, Lord, towards the next, that you would encourage our hearts as well, that you would bring those who are lost to Christ. And God will give you the glory for all these things, and, and God empower me during this time in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. In 1994, I actually visited um, Hawaii for the first time. 
How many of you have ever been to the big island of Hawaii before? You've been to the big island? Okay, so a handful of you here have been to there. Um, I, was, I was suffering for Jesus uh, at a Christian camp. I was a camp counselor, and I went there. Uh, I, was, uh, I was nervous, but excited, you know? And um, actually, God had gotten a hold of my life the summer before. I had a friend who who was encouraging me to come to Hawaii. And honestly, I struggled with that because I'm like, I don't want to go to Hawaii for the wrong reason. I really, do. I mean, I know you're laughing. I don't believe me, but I'm telling you, I really did. I just, God had gotten a hold of my life. It was such a radical shift and change in my life. And now for the first time, I really want to serve the Lord in a, in a real way. And um, we went to this island and the big island. I, I remember as we got there, uh, they went through a staff training, and um, as we went through the training, at the very end of the week, they said, hey, we want to take you and let you see some of the sites on the island, because if we're not careful, what will happen is you'll go through camp, and all these different weeks of camp, and then you come to the end, and you've not, and you go home, and you've never even seen Hawaii, so, and we didn't disagree with that. We said, yeah, that would be great. We'd love to go, and, and uh, so they took us around different places, Rainbow Falls, you know, uh, Akaka Falls, different beaches, you know, black sand beaches and different kind of beaches like that that are there. And I remember one thing, though, in particular that I'll never forget is that we visited um, in the middle of the island is a place called um, the Volcano National Park. Um, you, you go on this road, and as you go on the road, the road is actually called the Chain of Craters Road. Uh, as you're making your way on this road, you see all different kinds of things, different kinds of lava. I mean, you see lava that, that, that some, it's like, it's like fresh or newer lava, you could say, that, that it looks almost like someone took tar and kind of threw it out, and then it kind of just, you know, kind of froze into a spot in a sense. It's kind of real, real smooth, and, and, um, and that's called pahoyhoy. And then there's another kind of lava that's jagged and sharp and it's broken it down and, that's, and it's called aa. And I mean, it's, it really, it's like so sharp it can like cut your shoes and feet. I mean, it's like you gotta, you'd be real careful walking on aa. And I thought it was funny. I thought, you know what, I'd make a joke sometimes saying, you know, I think it's called aa because, you know, they probably walked on it back then and went aa, aa, you know. And, and actually in looking at it, that is what I, why they called aa. So anyway, I was right. Uh, you go further, you see different like uh, clouds of steam coming up from the sulfur vents and, and lava tube and stuff. But, but as we made our way down, we get down towards the end of the road. And the road at that time in 94, um, it, it, it continued on in one sense, but it was covered over with lava. So you just kind of see the lines in the road and all of a sudden it stops. And then you're kind of at the end of the road. And uh, by this time, it's actually in the evening. And so we're um, we're kind of enjoying this. I remember with a huge group of people, you know, we're, here we are looking around, just seeing the sights. I, I, that, the volcano with the orangish glowing lava working its way down the mountainside, and then eventually, you know, through lava tubes coming up, and then hitting the water, the coast, you could imagine the boiling and then the steam cloud going up, and I'm kind of seeing this, and the, the moon is like reflecting off of the water. Waves are kind of, kind of crashing, and and we're kind of seeing all this. And I look up in the sky, and it seemed as though I saw millions of stars. I just have never seen like the sky that clear. And I'm looking at all this, and I'm, I'm amazed by this. And then I notice a cloud. I'm like, look at that cloud. It goes from, and I said this to one of the guys. Look, it goes from that side of the sky, like all the way over to that side. It's, it's kind of narrow. And, and he looked at me and said, Jeremy, that's not a cloud. That's, that's the edge of the Milky, that's the Milky Way. And I'm like, what? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a city guy, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I've never seen something like this. And then someone in our group began to break out in song. They actually sang an old hymn. Do you remember that song, uh, How Great Thou Art? 
They begin to sing this, and so we're all kind of just started singing it. And as we begin to sing this, at midway through, I got choked up. I couldn't, I couldn't sing anymore because I began to think, wait a second, if, if this world is so beautiful and yet it's stained and tainted by sin, what in the world will heaven be like? Have you ever stopped to consider that? You know, what's amazing is here in Revelation chapter 21, John, he paints a picture in our mind that we'll never forget. And actually, if you're in Christ, one day you'll see this place firsthand. It's actually called the, the New Jerusalem or the city of God. It's a city that's not made by man's hands because a man once said this, that man, you know, made the cities and God made the country. And, and boy, you can tell a difference. And that is true. As you look around and you see even God's creation, but this is actually a city, though, that's made by God himself. When you consider this, Jesus said in John 14, too, in my Father's house are actually many mansions and many abodes, and, and he says, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come again. Now, he said that, and that was some 2,000 years ago, and you've got this world that's created in, what, six days, and, and God and his amazing uh, ability to create, and, and now it's been some 2,000 years as he's preparing this place, and, you, and I get God is not bound by time, but still, you're going, whoa, okay, then what in the world, again, is heaven going to be like if he describes it this way? And, and um, I want to take you here to Revelation 21. But before I do, let me just also take you back to Revelation chapter 20. If you follow the book of Revelation, you'll realize this, that the, the, the idea of heaven is mentioned some 54 times in all in Revelation. Actually, some 550 all in the whole Bible. But sometimes the Bible, when it describes heaven, it describes heaven as, as, as the like stellar space up in the sky there. Sometimes it's more like the, the air between the spaces. It talks about how even now the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiworks. But the truth is, is there is an element in here in this passage we're going to see where it speaks of the very abode of God, where God lives. And, um, but in seeing this, if you, if you read Revelation, you'll get something what we would call in theology called the ordo eschaton. You kind of get an order of end times and begin to see it laid out. And that's what I love about Revelation. And you have a point in time where all of a sudden it seems like the church is missing. And, um, and then this judgment comes, this tribulational period. And if you think pandemic is bad, then you need to read Revelation because you'll realize there is going to be a wipeout of cultures and of people because God is dealing with sin. He's holy and he deals with sinners. And so at this point in time, it's like almost like the God's welcome mat seems to be kind of being pulled back at this point, yet there will be people come saved during the tribulational time. We do know that, but many of them martyred. But as you work to the end of that, there's this thousand-year reign, the millennial reign, and then you have this last uprising, and then it's squelched by the Lord. And as he does this, notice what happens in Revelation 20 and verse 10. Because at that point now, it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown or cast into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is actually the, the original place specifically for the devil and you could say his minions, his demons. But the truth is there will be people there. And you say, what do you mean? Notice verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. 
Uh, from his presence, earth and sky, they fled away and there was no place for them. So this holy, majestic scene in heaven and everything kind of seems to be pushed away. And then it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now at first glance, you might say, oh, so if my good outweighs my bad, I'll get there. No, it's not going to work that way. Go further, because you'll notice they're all going to end up in the same place. Their, their works were insufficient or deficient. Notice verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now notice this, though. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is God's judgment. Not everybody goes to heaven. And we'll see that in just a bit. But notice chapter 21 as we kind of move into this. Now all of a sudden, it's like sin has been done away with and now you've got the glories of the new heaven. And he begins to describe this. And in one sense, we're gonna scratch a little bit of the surface this morning. But as we look at this, notice verse one, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So this is gonna be a, a total different kind of idea or economy in some form. But watch verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. If you're kind of taking any kind of notes, I can kind of make it real easy to take notes. That's why I kind of said, hey, I'm not going to even send anything ahead because I think it's easy to take notes with me. But here it is. Number one, heaven is a bride's city. Did you know that? Now, when I say that, it, it really brings us the idea of excitement as he talks about this, this, this bride adorned for her husband. Now, one of the most helpful things is to understand even a traditional Jewish wedding. I, I don't know if you know much about that, but it actually points all to this. But in a traditional Jewish wedding, there was different phases to it. Actually, do, do you realize that they, when the kids were growing up, they would arrange the marriage. They would get together with with the other family, and they would just, they would choose uh, who you would marry. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you would never have to worry who, who you marry ever again. I mean, you know, it's like it's already chosen for you. You know, how many, how many teenagers would like that, you know? <laughs> how many parents would like that? <laughs> yes, I thought. I just thought I'd get some of you. <laughs> And the teenagers are scared. You know, you're going to make me marry Bubba, and he's only got one tooth, you know, and, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> but the truth is, this is what they would do. They would betroth this. And then it was a, not just that. When it came time to, act to the actual wedding, there would be the presentation phase. And this presentation phase were festivities that often lasted for days that would precede the ceremony. And as you begin to even look at even like scripture, you start going, oh, this is pretty exciting because you could say this, God in eternity past has betrothed Christ and his bride, the church. And then there's gonna be a presentation in that sense. And at one day you could say as, as they come together with these festivities, you, you imagine in Revelation 19, this marriage supper of the lamb, you see this. And then you move into this phase where I would call it the ceremony where you have the exchanging of vows and the consummation of the marriage and the, just the great joy from all believers of all walks of life from every generation finally together with their Lord. And no sin. No one's, no one's gossiping about somebody else. 
There's a perfect unity because, again, there's no sin whatsoever. It's been done away with. And the joy of the heavenly reunion and the excitement. Now, I say this because I personally have never been to a sad wedding. Have you? I mean, maybe because you got people crying, you know, maybe they're like, you know, that's my little daughter, you know, or that's my new son or so, you know, there's, there could be tears like that, but I've never been to a wedding where people are like screaming out and saying like, don't do it, stop, you're ruining your life, you know, I've, I've never seen that. Now, maybe you've been to one, like, I just have never been to one like that, okay? <laughs> so you're making me nervous. But I think about this, I, I honestly like, okay, I, so, so, so weddings are exciting, I, I remember when I when I got married. I'm telling you, it was it was in 2000, and and uh, I was standing in the back, you know, kind of with the groomsmen in the back, and and uh, and with my with my you know best man. My best man actually was my younger brother, so I'm the middle of like five kids, okay. But my younger brother, I'm not sure what I was thinking, but anyway, he was my best man, and um, he says to me, "Hey, Jeremy, just so you know, there's still time," and he starts pointing to like a back door. And I'm like, no, 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 I've been waiting for this time. You know, I've been excited because, because I'm getting married. And, and all of a sudden, the music began to play. That was the cue. Then we all go out there and stand. You know, and here you are standing there, and you're thinking, stop looking at me, stop looking at me. You know, you're all nervous. And, and then some more music plays, and sure enough, the doors open up in the back, and there's my bride. I mean, this, this glorious dress and it's like all the attention goes away from me and is on her. You know, before my heart was going, now it's like, dun, 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 dun. you know, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, there she is. And it seemed to happen so quickly. It's like you come down into the front, you know, and, you know, you say I do, you say I do. Okay, you're done. And, and, it was, and you know, it's like over. And I think about a wedding time. I think about just the excitement of, of the gathering of God's people from all walks of life together with the Lord. Do you realize in a traditional Jewish wedding that the reality, no, no focus was really on the bride. Actually, it was on the groom. Now you might kind of go, well, well that's, well, that's kind of weird, you know? But when you think about this, it's interesting. In, our, in, in the heavenly culture, could you imagine all the focus is not on the bride of Christ. It's all on the one who made it possible for us to get there. It's all on Christ himself. But yet this glorious celebration and excitement of all the believers together. Number one, heaven is a bride city. It's an exciting place. Number two, though, I want you to see it is also a big city. It's a very, very large city. Go a little bit further down in the passage in Revelation 21 and verse 15. Because in verse 15 it says, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, the gates, and the walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, his lengths and width and height are equal, and so what it seems to be is a, a perfect cube, and as it would come down from heaven, as it describes this, you kind of might ask, well, 12 stadia, now maybe some of you have a study note in your Bible, you know, old school word furlong sometimes, you know, and, and what, what's a furlong or a stadia, you know, and someone asked the old preacher, what, what is that? Like, what's a furlong? And he's like, well, it's for a long time, you know, it's just big, you know. <laughs> but the truth is you look at this and you say, okay, so what is that? That equals out in our modern day to around 1,300 or 1,500 miles that, that is, that's actually really a lot, that's far. 
That's working your way real far out west and then, you know, down into Texas probably, working your way all the way over and up. And you, you, do you know you can take the world's population and you can stand them side by side in the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida? We're, we're talking about a space area that, that, that I mean, the, the, the amount of space in, is, is really large. Let's say a house like the White House, okay? Some of you have been to the White House before, maybe. It, it lies on 18 acres of land. It actually has 132 rooms in it. Now, for some of you, you're like, Jeremy, that's not, I got 134 in mine or something, you know? <laughs> I live in a fifth wheel trailer, actually. I don't, I've got, you know, like a kind of a little bit of closet space. <laughs> that's why we love Elkhart. You know, we're like, Elkhart is the place, you know? <laughs> but, um, but I think about this, and that's I think 132 rooms, that's a lot. Okay, if you took a house that size on the main floor, literally you could have 80 million estates of that size. If you were to start working your way up, remember because it does go up 1,500 miles, and you start working your way, and you gave yourself 10 stories, you know, 100 foot ceiling, and then you have another level, and 100 foot ceiling, and another level. You literally could have 79,200 levels with 80 million estates on each level. This is massive. And as you think about this too, our world, this space shuttle that orbits the, the, you know, our world, they, those guys float around there and it's between 150 and 330 miles above the earth's surface and they're floating. But wait a second, we're talking about 1,500 miles up. So this is unbelievable in size. And so when you think about this, this is a big city. It's enormous. But not only that, you can go even further. The idea is it's also a beautiful city. It's exquisite. And it begins to describe the beauty of this city. Notice verse 17. He, de- he describes the wall. He said also, he also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And 144 cubits is 216 feet. And I would suggest to you it's thick. And the reason I say that is because if you're gonna go have a, have a, have a, a city that goes up 1,500 miles, a, a wall that goes up only 216 miles or 216 feet. I mean, like, that is, that's, what, what's that? So actually many would believe what he's talking about is really the thickness because they would build the walls of the city in those days as high as the city. And so the truth is it could go up maybe 1,500 miles, but notice what it is. Verse 18, and the wall was built of Jasper. Jasper? While the city was pure gold, like clear glass, it's like a sight you've never seen before in your life, the beauty of this. And when you think about the idea of jasper, in one sense, it's interesting because jasper's mentioned earlier in verse 10. In verse 10, as he describes this place, he carried me away in his spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. In verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Some of you might understand stones a little bit that way, but the truth is, is if you understand a jasper, it's not clear as crystal. It's actually opaque. You cannot see through it. So what some would may believe is this. It's like the idea is it's just the glories of God shine so brilliantly bright that sure enough, it just, it's like as clear as crystal or what's being described here is a transliterated word describing something that we understand as a very precious jewel like a diamond. Now, could you imagine a diamond this size? 
I mean, when you think about a diamond, I think about a guy, you know, here he is, you're, you're like the poorest time in your life and you wanna ask her to marry you and, and hopefully he gave you a diamond and not a cubic zirconium, you know what I mean? That's, there's a big difference. And, uh, but anyway, here he is scrounging up and maybe, maybe, you got a, maybe you got a half carat, maybe, or maybe you got a carat or two, maybe three, but that's like almost you know, kind of unheard of as you get too much bigger and you're like, and so whatever you got, that's pretty exciting. But the truth is, is actually when you think about our culture, actually there's been a diamond found in our own culture um, in 1905 and it was called the Cullinan diamond. Actually they created 105 different diamonds from this massive diamond they found. And um, the largest cut diamond that I'm aware of is one called the Star of Africa. It's located in the British Royal Scepter and it's 530.2 carats. Now think about that for a minute. Like that's a massive diamond. But that's nothing compared just to the wall in heaven. I mean, we're talking about this precious jewel. And then as you, he describes further about this, you go, you go into this. Look at verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. I mean, a jasper, or sapphire. You start to go through the 12 different foundations and you've got the gamut of the whole rainbow. It's the same as the, the, the colors on the, the chest plate of the high priest that he would wear as well, which again, kind of brings you a lot of stuff to think about. But go to, go to verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl. Do you know how a pearl is formed? Um, there's a sand irritation in an oyster that produces some knacker. And actually over time, the larger or longer the suffering the bigger the pearl. 12 massive gates of pearl. I mean, I, I believe all this is, again, pointing to the glories of the Lord and who he is, but maybe even the idea that you're in and out of these gates. Why? Because, because he provided the way through his suffering. I mean, this is a lot of picturesque things that are beautiful there. Then, then you've got this, the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I mean, what's amazing about this is if you were to go out into the parking lot and maybe you're in a spot of the parking lot where there's maybe a little bit of broken piece up, uh, it would be very awkward if, you know, like the guys get to the car, you know, here's the husband, he, he reaches down and kind of picks something up and puts it in his pocket, you know, and, and, and he's all excited when he gets home and says, you won't believe what I got. I found it at church. And, and it's, it's some of the asphalt from the parking lot. Look, we're rich. <laughs> She'd be like, you are a wacko. You are messed up. We make our roads out of dirt. We make our roads out of gravel, concrete, you know. But the truth is, this is a, a road made of gold, of like transparent glass. He begins to describe all of these things, and you kind of see the beauties of this. But part of the beauty, too, is also what's not there. What's not there makes it really pretty. And, and in one sense, you say, what do you mean? Because as you work your way through this, the Bible describes that there is no night there, which kind of reminds me of where I just came from. I was just out near Fairbanks, Alaska, and honestly, it's like there's like no night right now. You know, it's like you're, it's kind of weird, you know, very weird. But you look at this and, and you see in verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the, lamb is, and the lamp is the lamb. So here's the glory of just of the, of the brightness of, of Messiah who just, just shines and radiates constantly. But watch this, go to verse eight. Verse eight describes people who will not be there. 
this is where it gets a little bit sober. I mean, we start being sobered by this because in verse 8, it talks about sin and sinners. In verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. As you begin to consider this, I mean, think about that for a minute, okay? Who are these people? Cowardly, these are people who are fearful of afraid, maybe of accepting Christ. Maybe, maybe some in this very room, you, you are nervous, you've grown up Christian. I've met so many people who've grown up in a Christian kind of world or atmosphere, and they think almost because they've grown up that way, they're a Christian. That, that's not the case. And there are people who, who, who are nervous. I, I've met people, I'm thankful that, who were humbled enough at some point, even deacons within a church or even assistant pastors and people who through the years have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, although that's what they, they had all those positions. And, and it's, like, it's like here they were and, they, and there will be people who are afraid of accepting Christ, maybe because of ridicule or persecution. Maybe the idea there is, is, is someone might mock them what will people think of me if I were to respond in a service? And praise God for some who, who didn't care. That showed you that today. They didn't really care what people thought, honestly. And, and, and if you live in fear of man, and there's, you, you'll, never, you'll never repent of your sins and trust in Christ because you're afraid of maybe what might happen to you or maybe you'll be disowned or something like that. And I've met many people that way from, from, from all different styles of religions and, and people coming to Christ. But people who are fearful won't make it. It goes on and even tells you not just the cowardly, but the faithless. These are unbelievers. You could say, yes, atheists, although I don't believe there's any true real atheists in one sense, but agnostics maybe. But the atheists who don't believe in God at all, or maybe, maybe even men or women who believe in God. I mean, Jesus tells us this, that the demons, they believe in Jesus and they tremble, but they're not going to heaven. I mean, how, how, unfortunately, you, you consider among the wheat, there are tares. Among the sheep, there are wolves. The reality is Jesus said this. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do good works? Didn't we even cast out demons in your name? But what does he say to them? He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who live in your sin, I don't know you. True believers don't continue in their sin. They, they've been rescued and they don't want to go back to it. They're saying, God, help me. I, I tell people often, hey, true believers are not sinless, but because they're in Christ, they should sin less. But you look at this and here's unbelievers, people who've never exercised faith and trust in Christ. Sometimes people think, well, it's just an intellectual belief in Jesus. No, you can have the intellectual belief in Jesus and die and go to hell. And that's why it's not just the intellectual belief and it's not an emotional belief either. If it's just all on emotions, emotions come and go. It's your mind, it's your heart, it's your will, it's all of you saying, I don't want my sin, but I want Christ. I'm embracing Christ as my Lord, my Savior, my King. And it makes no sense for a person to say, well, you know, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to give Jesus my life. I've actually had people tell me that. They say, well, Jeremy, listen, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to give Jesus my life either. And I say, well, then I'll be honest with you then. You're not ready. You're just not ready. 
Because it's, a, it's, a, it's not a partial repentance. It's, you're saying, I don't want my sin. I want you're embracing Christ as Savior, Lord, and King. You might not understand all of that when you get saved, but the truth is as you begin to see it more and more, you, 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 that's what you, you long for Christ. And as you go further in this passage, he, he, gets even, he talks about the detestable. The detestable are abominable. These are like the, the vile sinners. There are people who take sin to a deep extent. I mean, they go after sin hard. They will not be in heaven. Actually, as it talks about the detestable, it says even murderers. Now, maybe, maybe that's you. How many in this room would, would say, Pastor Jeremy, I, I've, I've, I've murdered someone before, and you just kind of be honest and raise your hand to that? Okay, okay. Okay, but wait a second. Remember what scripture tells you. How many of you have ever had hatred in your heart? Because if you had hatred in your heart, you're like a murderer in God's eyes. Okay, now we don't have to raise our hand to that, but now we all go, Ooh, you know. And then you go further and you start seeing not just the idea of murders or haters, but sexually immoral. I know that pastor had preached about this not, not too long ago and dealing with the immorality of within the culture. And yet the truth is it's a person, when you think about sexually immoral, this could be premarital sex or extramarital sex, which is adultery. It could be self-sex. It could be all different forms in our world. It's just twisted this and it's just all over. It's, it's, it's the idea of porn. It's, it won't be there. No whoremongers. As you go further, even in that list, you have the idea of sorcerers. This is where we get our, really, our English word, our root word is where we get our word pharmacy. So if you work in the pharmacy, man, God. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Okay, okay. <laughs> but this is, this is interesting. In that day, they would, take, they would take drugs to alter their state of consciousness to open themselves up to a spirit, to a, to a demonic world. And so you have this whole idea of, of those who are associated with witchcraft or the dead or demon devil worshipers, even modern day drug users. The idea there is those people won't go there. And so unless you're born from God, unless he delivers you in that sense that you would look to him, you have the idea of not just that, then you have idolaters. Now, honestly, we, this is our culture. We, we are idolaters. I think about I think about financially. Stats came out a number of years ago that said this: if you make a combined household income of at least ten grand a year or more, okay, which is you could be on welfare, you're fine, you know, with this, you are in the top eighty fourth percentile. If you make a combined household of forty four thousand dollars a year or more, you're in the top ninety ninth percentile in the world. And what do we do so often? We just go after stuff. It's like we live for the stuff. Idolaters won't be there. Again, again, people who worship idols made of wood, it could be that style. But, but the truth is, is, is we forsake the idols for, for the Savior. And then you have liars. And we've all told lies. And if I were to ask you if you've ever told a lie, and, you know, we'd all have to raise our hand. I mean, it, it, and then how many have you told in your life? And, and so this all is bad news. This is all showing us that actually we could never naturally get into heaven because if you even look at the very last verse in that chapter, verse 27, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
See, this is all talking about the sin won't be there and the glories of heaven will be because there is no sin there, but the great glory of heaven is the one who has made it possible for us to get there. What is that? What are we talking about? If you look and you see this in verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Remember the Lamb that was slain Remember how they would have to slay the lambs and an unblemished lamb in the Old Testament? And they would do it daily with sacrifices. They would also have a yearly sacrifice for the nation. It was a major ordeal, but there was a once-for-all sacrifice, and his name is Jesus Christ. As you begin to consider Jesus, even as he came on the scene, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's, like, it's amazing because here is Jesus is offering himself this way in love. And yet he's responsible, obedient to the Father. And he comes. And the Bible says, he who, who did not know any sin became sin for us. Jesus was, was the eternal sacrifice for us. Someone could push you out of the way on, you know, and, and, and because someone is driving crazy in the parking lot and they push you out of the way and save your life, but they get hit and maybe run over and killed. That would be awful, but it would not help you spiritually in the sense that they, they're, they're a human and you need a perfect human sacrifice and we don't know any perfect humans except for Christ. As you begin to consider Christ in all of this, and again, the glories of who he is in verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is the lamp is the lamb, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And notice this, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory into, or they'll bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. That, that is, think about this for a minute. Sometimes people have said, they said, Jeremy, what are we gonna do when we get to heaven? Like sit on a cloud and play like a harp and ring, ring. And they're like, that kind of seems boring. And I'm like, it does seem boring. What are you talking about? And where'd you get that? Like a 1950s cartoon? Like seriously. And yet there are nations that means there's commerce. And think about this, everything for the very glory of God. All the sin has been done away with, and now you've got heaven, this new Jerusalem coming down, and it seems to come straight down all the way to earth. The gates are always open. Why? Because there's no sin anymore. And now there's, there's this freedom of in and out and all around, and yet all for the glory of God. I would say, wait a second, are there things to do on this earth? And the answer is, of course there is. But yet everyone living for eternal purposes that's hard to imagine, isn't it? But then you consider that, and I'm going, this is, this is part of the key to the beauty of the city is, is honestly, is, it's who is there. That's, that's the whole point. When we travel, we go different places, and, and my, my family is, is from South Carolina, so that's where I'm from, kind of the Greenville area. And when we go there and we see grandparents, you know, the kids do, they jump out of the vehicle, and, and you know, Grandma! grandpa and they would hug them as 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 little kids and and the same thing we get up in washington state grandma grandpa and they you know but i've never seen them run over to the house and hug the house you know what i mean like oh i love the house like the siding or bricks or whatever no it's not the house it's who's in the house 
And for those who are in Christ, now maybe, again, you're, you're here today and you're not in Christ. And you begin to see this and you realize, okay, okay, and God doesn't work on this, you know, scale this way. You, you need to be perfect and yet you can never be that way. And if nothing enters into heaven that will, that will defile it, that means sinners won't get there on their own. They can't, they can't. That's why Messiah came. If you are Messiah, you are okay. <laughs> but because you're not Messiah, that's why you need him. So for those of you who are in the room who have never repented and trusted in Christ, that is what Christ has called you to do, to repent and believe the gospel. His death, his burial, and praise God, his resurrection. And when you get saved, what happens? That, that happens to you spiritually. You're dying to self and dying to sin and being raised to walk in newness of life. What a picture we just saw. As you consider this, I, I, I say for the believer, this, is, this just motivates me. I think about this for a minute. Philippians 3.20 teaches you this, that your citizenship is in heaven. Why would you live for all the stuff here? You, you will not take it with you when you die. And sometimes we're so motivated by that. Think about this. To the Colossians, Paul said this. He said, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. What does that mean? Your affections and mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And for the believer that, that has their focus there, can I tell you, I, I remember a saint of the past said this. They said, if you are so heavenly minded, then you're of no earthly good. Okay, that's a nice saying, but I've just never met anyone like that, okay? Because I, I, honestly, if you're truly heavenly minded, you're of great earthly good. In other words, like if you really are living for that, for that, you know, for the kingdom and the king, what, what will you do? You'll seek to expand the kingdom. You want people all around you not to die and go to a lake of fire and, and be judged for their sin, but to be delivered. And who does God use to deliver them? Actually, God uses people to reach people. That's how he's ordained it. I have a world where I'm in and I'll meet people that you'll never meet. And you have a world where you're in, and you're gonna meet people that I'll never meet. But God uses us all to minister the gospel. When you consider heaven as your heavenly place, if, that's in, if you're in Christ, this should encourage you. It should preserve you when you go through the trials. It should seek to help you to be pure. Think about this. For the trials are like these momentary light afflictions that's producing in us this eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. I mean, the more and the greater the trial, the more longing should be is I can't wait to get there. And one of the glories of this too, consider early on in that passage what it said. It says in verse four that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. And all of God's people say what? Amen. Amen. This should sanctify you as you consider the, the glories, again, the purity. Of, it's like if I'm gonna stand before God, do, do, do you want to, to have junk there? I mean, again, I realize that past, present, future, since he's paid for it all, but the reality is, why wouldn't you fully live for him? Or why would we hold on to the junk and the sins in life? 
And for me, I look at this and I go, you know, I, he's coming. He's, he's coming again. He didn't lie to us. And it may be very, very, very soon. And so we don't just kind of hang out and do nothing. But by God's grace, we say, dear God, thank you for this place that you've prepared. That just shows he loves you. And we just kind of scratch the surface of the glories of heaven. My, my question to you is this. Are you going there? Are you headed there? And if not, today could be the greatest day of your life. You could humble yourself in genuine repentance and faith, turning from your sins to Messiah and be rescued. Or maybe, maybe you're, you are headed there. But my question is, are you truly living for eternal purposes or are you living for self? May God deliver us from ourself and may he deliver us from our sins. And this is what's so amazing. This is heaven, the very city of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, again, my friends that are here today, and I ask God, will you please give us an eternal focus? Lord, so often our hearts and our minds are just so focused on everything here. And Lord, in many ways, we're, we're not control of this, we're not in control of our destiny in the sense that Ultimately, we, we rest in your control. We, we look to you and you alone for salvation because we could never save ourselves. And I think of some in this very room or some who are watching or even who will watch who may be without Jesus Christ. Please, God, stir their hearts. May they, may they realize their need of salvation and yet the glories that you have so abundantly given and offered the gift to them, may they, may they truly repent and trust in you. And then for those who are in Christ, God, would you please work in our lives that we would not waste our lives, but we would invest our lives for eternal purposes. God, use us, re refocus us, even this week as we go out and about, that you would stir us as we see friends who are without Christ or or family, or loved ones, or neighbors, Lord, stir us that we would encourage them and point them to a Savior, to the Savior. And we'll thank you, God, for what you're gonna do. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe God is speaking to you right now about some areas in your life. I always like to conclude to have a time where you just, you and God are talk, talk to him. I wonder, is there, is there stuff between you and God as a Christian? Are you living for the things of this world? Have you really lost focus of eternal things? And this is the time to say, God, I, 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 it's wrong and, and, and forgive me and cleanse me and, and God, I want to be used of you. God, God, help me to invest in eternal things and not live selfishly. And maybe without Christ, you're, you're, you're just humbly broken to say, I don't, I don't want my sin, but I need the Savior. And you've come today and God is speaking to you. Why don't you humble yourself? Why don't you cry out to him? He tells you if you come to him, he will never cast you out. Would you do that? And Pastor Phil, come and close us. But consider these things. been given the hope of the glory of heaven and the warning 
of the reality of a place called hell where people who don't know the Lord will spend eternity. We heard earlier the testimony of Mackenzie and Derek who in a service just like this heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart and they said that day, I'm not sure I'm saved and I want to get saved. And they reached out to the Lord that day and they came forward and met with some of our prayer team members and gave their heart to Jesus. The Bible is clear when it says, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Open your heart to him. Whatever, whatever he's doing, whatever he's speaking to you, the call for you today is to open your heart and respond to the Lord. Let's stand together. And um, I'm going to close in prayer and dismiss you. And our prayer team is going to be up here in the front. I will be down here in the front. Jeremy will be down here in the front. And we would love to speak with you about whatever the Lord is saying to your heart and helping you with whatever that next step is. Certainly, if it's to become a believer in the Lord Jesus and to repent of your sin, we want to help you with that so that you can walk out of here in newness and the confidence that the glory of heaven is yours forever and ever. How awesome is that? So, Lord, I just pray that you'll work and that you'll give my friends boldness to respond to whatever it is that you want to do in their lives and that they'll give themselves to you. As we go, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us and that you'll use us and that we will have eyes to see those who are lost and those who need a Savior and be willing and bold enough to share that with them this week. To your honor, to your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. God bless you, my friends. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.